Hi everyone, this is Amber Shao, founder and CEO of Adursus, a laboratory data management software company. Welcome to Adursus Lab Software Podcast. Joining me today is Mac Sonnet. Mac is a principal consultant at VentureScope Consulting located in Sunnyvale, California. Mac started software development in 1984 and was introduced to the world of software validation at Bell Laboratories. Since 1995, he has been applying software validation methodology and techniques for the FDA-regulated industries, especially in the in vitro diagnostic field known as IVD. Companies he helped successfully by applying software validation methodology and techniques include 23andMe, Grill, which was acquired by Illumina, Johnson & Johnson, Abbott, and other Silicon Valley startups. So in the last episode, we covered some basic concept about the software validation. Today, let's uh, do a deeper dive into the validation process. Um, I deal with like both homegrown software, also the vendor uh, provided uh, commercial software. I used to think the validation process for them are somewhat the same, but I recently learned that actually the process may vary by the type of software. So between the homegrown software and also the vendor provided software, how are the validation process uh, different uh, in general? Sure. Process you follow through for the software validation is essentially the same. But depending on it's the homegrown software or the vendor provided software, the, uh, the resources and activities that you involve and you have to support will be different because simply there are certain type of validation activities that ha you have to rely on the vendor that you do not have access to certain things because of the proprietary nature and because of the uh, significant resource allocation that you can't, you can't just afford to do certain things. Where does validation begin? Yeah, ideally the validation begins from the planning phase. In the planning, like you all, you have to write software validation plan and which defines mm -hmm. what to be accomplished through software validation. So when you say it's better to start at planning of the software, right? Whether it's acquiring or developing the software. And I know there's some cases where the software has been already been installed or already been developed, and then they have to do the validation. Is that acceptable? Is that another approach or is it's not recommended at all? Well, uh, it is not recommended, but it is after the fact. So if the system has been installed and people are using and you found out it needs to be validated, the, the things to do is even it's being used, it is the best practice and best interest to validate the system. And in this case, it will be considered as retrospective validation. And which is better than nothing. It's, it's significantly better than just assuming it's okay, you know, we are using it and hope nothing happens and we can just keep on going without validating. That's the worst case possible. I see. So it's definitely not recommended. What are some of the major components in the validation activities? And then what kind of documents um, created along with those activities? Let me dive into more specifics of what has to be done in software validation process. So software validation consists of four major components. And uh, so the first one is software validation plan. The validation plan right. 
has to be uh, drafted. And this is the discovery process because the plan has to define what has to be accomplished through software validation. Now, second component is requirement specification for homegrown system or for vendor provider system. Only you as the user or user group can specify the requirement because even for the same software, every company operates differently. There is no such thing as one double operation or one company operate exactly the same with the other. Every lab is so different. Every lab is different. Yeah. So therefore, you have to write your own requirement specification. Now, for the vendor-provided software, the vendor can provide you the list of software functions. List of software function is not the same as requirement specification. Requirement specification is how your lab is going to use the software by making use of functions provided by those vendor software. So requirements is the user requirement, which right. is not the same thing as software, the list of software functions. Right. It's uh, going back to your thermometer example. So the user requirement uh, document basically indicates, I want to use this thermometer in the patient rather than using the soup, right? Okay. Even though uh, the vendor um, who, who manufactured this thermometer allow you to use it in any cases, but you have to say very explicitly, I need to use it in the patient, but not any other cases. Uh, other yes, uh, that's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the second component. Um, requirement specification. The third component, so you mentioned there are four, four components. That's right. Yeah, the third component is the software development process. Often in the industry, it's called software life cycle. In initial, it's called SDLC, stand for software development life cycle. This is the part where um, I remember earlier you gave the example about the software testing is not enough for validation because this is the design is not covered in the testing. So I'm assuming um, part of the software development lifecycle document will also cover the design about the software. Is that That's right? right. That's right. So mm -hmm. software lifecycle uh, breaks down to four distinct phases of the lifecycle first phase is the requirements, the software planning and requirements analysis. Software design and development is the uh, second phase. Okay. And third phase is the software testing. Mm -hmm. And fourth phase is after software being tested, now you will deploy the system and installation and deployment of the system is the fourth phase. Mm -hmm. And so if the software testing is only your concern, then you are just focused on the phase three, which is a software testing phase. Right. And therefore, you as a tester do not have the visibility for the software analysis and design phase. Each phase of software lifecycle, you have to continuously revisit your software hazard analysis. Like when you are gathering the requirements and writing the requirement specification, you have to question yourself. What goes wrong? If this goes wrong, then what can be the potential hazard? Mm -hmm. And that you have to continuously ask the question for every phase of the software lifecycle during software development, during software testing, and once it's deployed. Mm -hmm. And this also mm, explains why it's better to do the validation 
right from the beginning during the software development or installation, right? Because then those activity will help you to really refine the design and, and testing um, along the way rather than doing it retrospectively. That's right. And the first phase of the life cycle is the deployment. That's where many of the security issues are implemented. Those are all just about the software development life cycle. So moving on to the fourth components of the validation activity, I assume it's going to be the protocols, right? The test scripts. And the, um, could you elaborate on that? Sure. So in, in the software life cycle, in the third phase is the test cycle. And test cycle or test phase can break down to those execution of protocols. There are three types of protocols, like IQ for installation qualification, OQ for operation qualification, then PQ is performance qualification, and people say just IQ, OQ, PQ. Believe it or not, this is the question I was asked the most, which is what is IQ, OQ, PQ? Yeah, so that's the IQ is for installation qualification. So that's the installation of the software and the software system into your lab environment. Installation qualification originally comes from installing uh, the machinery, such as the centrifuge or mm -hmm. sequencer. But for software, it's software being installed in the environment being used, in, in this case, lab environment. Or if it's the virtual environment, then software is installed in the virtual environment and accessible from your production or clinical lab system. So, and then the operational qualification, OQ, what is that? Yes, OQ stands for operation qualification, and this is the activity supposed to be performed right after the successful completion of IQ. So operation qualification, OQ, uh, supposed to be a challenge of the function. Say your thermometer measures from 100 degree the maximum 100 degree to zero degree Celsius. If the thermometer gives one degree increment for, for every point of measurement, starting from zero degree to 100 degree, all of a sudden it doesn't jump from 20 degree Celsius to 30 degree Celsius. For the entire range of zero degree to 100 degree, OQ will test it. And for mm. medical internet uses, as the OQ being a challenge test, you're supposed to actually test beyond what specification requires, which is you're supposed to test 101 degree, 102 degree, and, and make observation of how thermometer behaves once the measurement exceeds its the range of the measurement. Does it break? Does it explode? Okay, and then for the performance qualification, I'm assuming this is related uh, to the intended use, like the, how you can use the system. PQ is the test for the real, uh, real situation or the situation expected to be cross to real. Cross to real being you, you'll be measuring temperature. If this, if this meant to be used for human, then you will actually use human to measure temperature. And because of the human temperature doesn't drop to zero degree or 100 degree, goes up to 100 degree, although the temperature thermometer is capable of, of measuring those ranges, but your performance qualification measures the realistic 
environment with the realistic subject, in this case, human body. And so you will be repeatedly measure with human body and repeatedly measure its accuracy of range and making sure it performs accurately. Out of all this document that you have just uh, talked about, which one actually come from vendor if this were for uh, vendor provided software? Yeah, that's that's a very good point. So if it's the vendor provided software and the vendor will do IQ and OQ, the vendor will be able to install the software and operation qualification is making sure the thermometer measures correctly within the predefined specification. So that's that's something they can perform. But how the thermometer is especially used for human. In those special circumstances, vendor has no idea of, of your intended uses. Therefore, for vendor provided software, PQ is always something falls onto lab director and lab manager. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the other difference between the vendor versus the homegrown software. If this were uh, vendor software, IQ OQ will be from the vendors, but if it were homegrown software, this is the document that the, the internal resources has to work on, right? That's right. And then there are some trend recently because IQ OQ has to be executed by vendor. Vendor won't really want to use their own resource performing those IQ and OQ because those are like labor-intensive testing process. So instead of performing IQ and OQ, some, in, in some cases, they will just issue certification paper. The vendor claims IQ and OQ was performed in their own company's development environment. And here is a certificate, just one page or two page certification of qualification that they only claim. Mm -hmm. uh, those, those tests being performed, but you're not getting actual IQ and OQ documentation. So you have to be careful. So that's something to be watch out. Um, oh, yes, absolutely. If this were vendor software. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely there's a lot of documentation that needs to be produced as part of this validation process. The, that's so right. Where does the validation end? Validation ends at the successful completion of IQ and OQ and PQ, where you summarize in the validation summary reports that the validation has been successfully executed and completed. This validation final summary report has to be reviewed and approved by the project stakeholder. And then after the validation is completed, if the system continues being used, does one have to do anything to ensure the system is still maintained in the validated state or it doesn't really matter anymore? Yeah, that's the one crucial question. So once the system is being validated, you got the seal of approval. Every time the new requirement comes, your company's change control process has to review it. So you, you have to have change control process or change management process. And before you change software, you have to evaluate the nature of the change. If you decide to change the software by implementing new feature or the software bug being found, after being used. That software change has to be tested, not in your production environment, but in the testing or quality assurance environment first. So those changes has to be 
performed and reviewed within your change control, change management process. And only then you introduce those actual software changes into your production system. So in a way, this process doesn't end. It only ends maybe if you stop using the software. That's, that's right. Like once, once you retire the software, then you are off the uh, responsibility of validating software. And also another thing as the last comment, once the software is validated and put in production, then you have to make sure only the production support team has access to change anything. Everybody else should be blocked from accessing the software. That's a crucial point. Well, thank you uh, so much, Mac, for, for the deep dive in the validation process. I hope this uh, gave our listeners a better understanding of what the validation entails. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, I hope this will be helpful. Thank you.